Well, two things before we begin this morning. I just want to say thank you if you've invested financially uh, in our church. We just completed, and I want to announce to you that we just had our best year ever, that we met budget, and we have a little bit of a surplus. I can't get a private jet, but we have just a little bit of a surplus, and more money means more ministry that we can, we can do some things possibly in-house and certainly out of the house to invest in our missions partners. And so just thank you so much uh, for that. Uh, around me, we had a lot of angst in the fall. Uh, we were thinking about possibly some cuts and stuff like that. We did a sort of behind-the-scenes spending freeze, and everybody was worried about it. Everybody around me, they just didn't believe. They didn't have enough faith. And so I said, oh, ye of little faith. So I'm, I'm saying thank you and gloating. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I had my own share of angst. But God came through, and he came through through many of you, and I want to say thank you uh, for that. We began a series today called Influence. When I was in seminary, a professor used to say to us, maybe you've heard me say it before, that he said, you impress people from a distance, but you influence them up close. Isn't that good? You impress people from a distance. Maybe one of the banes of the American church is we have celebrity Christians and celebrity pastors and whatever, and we're really impressed by someone's skilled oratory or their, their writing or whatever, but we don't know them only from a distance. We can impress people from a distance, but we influence them up close. This series is not called Impress. It's called Influence. And one of the things we have uh, you heard it already from Laura and Meg, is we want to invite you into groups. Maybe it's regrouping with your group from the past semester, or it's starting a new group or jumping into a new one. But we want to be the church where we have closer uh, connective tissue and can share life with each other, and our influence will grow with one another. You can influence and be influenced uh, when we get out of rows and into circles. I want to begin this series, this sermon today, with Peter's shadow. Take a look at Acts 5.15. I don't know if you know if that, this is in the Bible. People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Obviously, these, these folks were impressed by Peter. Now, back then, there was a belief, a common belief, that good people, great people had power in them and around them, that even in their shadow. Now, if you go ahead and read, to be true to the Scripture, if you go ahead and read right after this, you'll see that God gave Peter some prodigious gifts to authenticate and validate the gospel. So there was this gift of healing. We misunderstand it, misapply it. It's used and abused uh, in our day. But there was this really a wonderful gift that God gave Peter to bring healing. But the people sensed this and they, they wanted in on it. But notice the word that we highlighted here, the word shadow. Just, just at least his shadow. Take a look at my shadow. No one wants uh, any part of it, I guess. But uh, I was, you know, I'm, I've been fascinated by the sun. It's the center of our solar system. It's the largest object in our solar system. It's kind of strange. Without the sun, we have no life. It brings energy to everything, but you can't uh, get close, too close to it or it'll snuff you out. But this is my shadow uh, just a few uh, days ago in our back parking lot here uh, of the church. And this ball of helium and mostly hydrogen, 93 million miles away, uh, and I can do, you can do tricks like this. Look how uh, important I look, right? Uh, a shadow, listen, everybody has a shadow. Everybody casts a shadow. Everybody has influence. Uh, we're being influenced. Do, do you know this? We're being influenced. In fact, the scripture gives us a promise. I think we can see it borne out every day that we have an enemy and the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy and we live in a world that's trying to squeeze us into its mold, to conform us uh, to be like it. If you don't know yet, I mean, the world is empty 
oh, there's a lot of beauty in the world, but the world is empty with its isms and schisms and ideologies and such, and it beckons us and it's seeking to influence us. But we're called uh, to be properly influenced and then to influence others. In the 14th chapter of Romans, Paul writes to the church in Rome, first century church, and he says, by the way that you behave, you could cause your brother or sister to stumble. Now, I know that's kind of going negative early, but when we talk about influence, like there's a lot of ways that you can influence people, but as we're connected to each other, we can cause each other to stumble. You can make decisions that badly influences people around you. Now, I don't want to heap any shame or guilt on you, but like, I don't want that to be a part of my life. Do you? Like, do you want to be somebody who negatively influences other people? So we have an opportunity to elevate our thinking and living in this series as we look at influence. So from Robert Greene's shadow, let me give you a poem from Robert Louis Stevenson, a part of a poem. He says this about a shadow. I have a little shadow that goes in and out with me, and what can be the use of him is more than I can see. What I hope for you is that you'll see how powerful your influence can be. You're not going to fully know, and listen, as a leader, like, you know, I have somewhat of a you know, a platform, I'm somewhat public and, and, and have a, you know, a little bit of influence. But honestly, I get discouraged by it sometimes. And I, I, I think I tend to um, not appreciate the influence that God gives me. And I think we tend to beat ourselves up and think that people really aren't watching, that people really don't care. And so what I hope to do is raise the bar for you, for all of us to think about this little shadow that goes in and out with me. Look, there's so much potential there's so many people who are watching you. And are we causing our people uh, to stumble? Or are, we, are we helping people? This shadow uh, it, that you have, this influence, it heals or it hurts. It, it blesses other people or it blights them. So let's think about the influence um, that we can have um, on, our, on our world today. And as we walk through this, we're going to be looking at uh, Acts chapter 20. So if you brought a Bible, we'll have all the verses on the TV here, but if you brought a Bible, Acts 20 is the place to be. I want to honor those who brought their Bibles who would like to turn there. And of course, if you have an open Bible, you can check and make sure the preacher is uh, preaching the right words. I'm not just like making stuff up. You don't want to be hoodwinked, do you? Don't be hoodwinked. That's my goal of 2024. Don't be hoodwinked. Y'all, you know, y'all know I have one New Year's resolution. I'm going to share it with you. My one New Year's resolution for 2024 is not to lose my wallet. And y'all keep me accountable. And if I accomplish this in the next 360 days, like Susan is going to be thrilled by it. But not, that's my only goal, not to, be, not to lose my wallet and not to be hoodwinked. Uh, let me show you on the map here a town called Acts 20 is where you're turning or you'll look in a moment. We're going to go to a place where uh, it, here in the first century Mediterranean world, now um, stuff's happening here. You see, to give you context, here's your cradle of civilization Here's Judea, Galilee, Samaria. Here's Jerusalem and events we've always watched throughout history. Uh, Here across the sea is uh, Miletus. And this is where we'll be in several of these weeks today and certainly the next two will be in Acts 20. And we'll be at this town that was once important. You'll see that it's, uh, just give you a few facts. I'll give you a few more next week. But it's 36 miles south of Ephesus. I know you've heard of that. And Miletus used to be a really important city. It was a port city. Uh, it, had, it boasted of many harbors. It was carefully uh, engineered and structurally designed to where the, the, it was a planned community. If, you, if, community. if you've ever lived in one of those planned communities where, I mean, like the whole town, the whole city 
was like the streets were equal in size and proportion. It was built on this system, on this grid. And I don't have a picture of it. I'll show it next week. But there's the theater, and it's common. And when we've done a series in Corinthians and uh, Romans and other places, you know, to show you some of the architecture, which, of course, was so grand. I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with this building that's only about 80 years old. But you're talking about thousands and thousands of year, years old. But a lot of the city doesn't exist, but what you can find today, if you were to a tour there, is you can find a theater, a theater that sat 15,000 people. And when you view the theater, you can see its concourses and its little, uh, the little tributaries and things that flow in and out of this theater that sat 15,000 people for special events, for people to talk about wisdom and truth and justice and beauty and philosophy and such. And in this theater, you, you'll uh, see that... Um, though it remains, that so much around it has, has gone. Uh, this is Western Turkey in our modern day, by the way. And what happened, by the way, uh, I dug in a little bit to see what archaeologists and historians say about it, but so much of this city with its grand, its formerly grand architecture, it's been excavated and carted off. And you can find some stuff from the city of Miletus that's in Europe today. You can visit certain places in Europe and, and you can see that it came from this place. But here's what's important about it. Paul had an opportunity, and maybe some people said maybe he should have been, or a lot of leaders would have been drawn uh, down back to Jerusalem because there were feasts and there were festivals that were happening. But Paul stops in Miletus. He had been there in this region, and he served there for three years. And during these three years, he developed these relationships. You can impress people from a distance, but you can influence them up close. And Paul had lived and strived in this community, and he calls them together because he's got something to say. I was riding around in my truck yesterday, and I heard a, a new song. I think it's brand new, uh, Back Then, Right Now. And the, and the singer, formerly from Florida Georgia Line, so I really shouldn't even quote him, but he's singing Back Then, Right Now. We need some Back Then, Right Now. He's waxing nostalgic and going, oh man, life back then? I want some of that right now. And I believe in a similar way that what Paul said back then, we need right now. We need it in our leadership. We need it in our churches. You need it in your heart and in your home. We need his words and what he had to say. So let's take a look at Acts chapter 20. I want to look first at verse 17. Acts 20 verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. He's going to He's going to have a one-day pastor's conference, and it's going to end with a lot of emotion. It's going to be a little bit strange, but it's going to be very compelling. It's going to be very tearful. Uh, any people, any men in particular that struggle with showing emotion, you may want to stay away from Acts 20 because it's a lot of manly men who were trailblazers. They were mavericks. Uh, they were really macho people who weren't afraid of trying things and even risking their lives, but they got very emotional uh, at the end of this, and Paul's the leader of that. Paul was a vulnerable leader. Paul was a transparent leader. How many of you want to follow a leader that shoves everything inside? How many of you want to follow a leader that's all factual and logical and systematic? How many of you are interested in following a leader who will show you who they are, who wear their emotions on their sleeve, who connect deeply with people, who will grieve and hurt and rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep? And that's what we see in Acts chapter 20. So he summons them. It's like, hey, let's Let's have a meeting. Next verse, verse 18. When they came to him, he said to them, you know from the first day how I set foot in Asia, how I was with you uh, the whole time. And so 
I want to draw four ways to influence people from this passage. Four ways that we can influence people. Remember, you impress people from a distance, but you influence them close up. And here we see Paul saying, how I was with you. How I was with you. He, he lived among them. I have a, a strong belief that, and we, I'm not here to debate, you know, size and models of churches and all. I think there's so many that are good and healthy for the fabric of our community and the fabric of our world. And I'm against almost none of them, honestly. But I do believe that a pastor, a leader ought to be local. I, I believe they ought to be known by their people. I believe the leader ought to be accountable and they should know how that that man or that woman is leading how they're living their lives how they're loving uh, their families they should be known and so four ways that we all can have a shadow we can cast a long shadow here's the first way the first way to influence is the way that you live the actual way that you live across the Aegean Sea in the Greek world Paul this same writer the one who summoned the meetings of elders he would say this in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Let me, this is not a contradiction of what I'm teaching here, but I, I want to just throw a splash of cold water on us. Uh, somebody needs to hear this, and it's this. Nobody really wants to follow you. Nobody really wants to follow you. Maybe I'm preaching to me. Nobody really wants to follow me. Nobody, you said, Robert, I thought you were trying to elevate, to raise the bar. Nobody really wants to follow you. They want to know, they want to know that you're following something that's transcendent, that's bigger and better and higher. And so anytime you subscribe to a leader, a Christian author or pastor or say, hey, come to Fonner Church and hear Robert or one of these guys preach or go, let's go to so-and-so or whatever, you know, and, uh, you know, as long as they're following Jesus, because it won't be long from now, I won't be here, and almost nobody's going to remember me. And I'm not worthy of being followed. But I am if I'm following Jesus. If I'm pointing people to Jesus, the way we influence, number one, is by the way that you live. By how you live your life. And I wonder if you can say today, parent, coach, teacher, small group leader, deacon, elder, minister, staff minister here. Can you say this? Can you look at people and say, be an imitator of me as I follow Jesus? The strength is not in imitate me. The strength is in I'm imitating Jesus. And that's what we, that's what we need. Susan, I've been laughing at some of these uh, memes and videos and and I can't uh, say it in church, can't cuss, but we've been watching some of these, like this little kid gets out of a little toy car and he slams the door and goes, you're a piece of blank and walks off. Like, where did that kid get that from? That kid, is an, he's imitating what he's seen his dad or mom, probably dad, do that, right? He's seen his dad, oh, you piece of, and walks away with this. It's kind of funny. I guess I shouldn't encourage it. But it's funny because the guy's like this tall. He's imitating what he's seen. The way we live is how we influence other people. I'm going to show you a picture. It's real simple. But um, this is a, a friend I know. I know that this is a wife whose husband is a pastor and a friend of mine in Texas. And we both talk a lot. And we, one of the joys we both have is uh, the blessing that we have in our spouses. Because uh, some of you show me concern and sympathy and check on me and my well-being and but boy, Susan has a calling on her life. And there's just, I mean, I couldn't imagine doing this job without a supportive spouse. 
and what I have is what he has. And he, he just he showed me a picture recently of his wife, and she loves to attend church. She loves to hear him preach. She loves to hear the other guys preach. But she'll be on the front row, and she's taking notes, and she, she loves the Word of God. And what a gift to have that if you're married and you're pursuing God and to have a spouse who also is pursuing God, to pursue God together, to see that and to you know, put the phone down, to have a Bible and a notebook and to be taking notes. But here's what I want you to notice. Look down the row there and what do you see? You, you see a leader. You see leadership. Are you with me? Are you with me? Do you see this? Here, here's what she's done. I guarantee you she's done it for years. And then look down the row. And I'm not trying to make this about note-taking in church, but I'm trying to make it about imitating. And that we, how we live is how we influence people, and people are watching you and they are noticing. Josh Howerton is a pastor in Dallas of Life Point Church, and one of my friends just went to work with him. And I've been following Josh a little bit lately, and he wrote something that really inspired me. He said he's a pastor of a great and growing church, and his dad was a pastor. And he said, you know, it's been a real trend in the American church for people to go, oh, it's so hard to be a preacher's kid, and it's just so difficult. And he said, man, it's been a joy to grow up in the home that I grew up in. And he gives three reasons why. He says, number one, my parents lived out their faith. He said, my dad was always reading books about Jesus. He was always helping people and always looking to love the marginalized and create a radically inclusive people, a group of people where people who felt left out and unloved were brought in. When we would worship uh, on the front row, remember he was got the guy speaking most of the time, not the guy, you know, but so on the, not the guy taking notes, but he said, when I would worship with my dad, he, he would, uh, I would notice, I would look up at him and see that oftentimes he had tears in his eyes that he wasn't running a system, he wasn't producing a slick program, he wasn't just doing a job, he had an intimate relationship with Jesus, and I wanted to know the one that he knew. He said, my parents had a sincere faith. Second thing he said, he said, my dad pulled me up into his world. It's common, isn't it, in parenting? I know there's books and tricks and tips and techniques about this where you, you know, get down on the child's level. And can I say that's really good when they're little, but at some point that's a bad strategy for long-term parenting. You want to get up off the floor. You always, you always want to serve your family. Men, you need to wear yourself out at work and go home and wear yourself out at home and serving your wife and your children. But, to, you know, Josh talks about how his dad pulled him up to his level. He got to see some staff meetings. He got to see some small groups. He got to see some interactions. His dad cared about him enough to pull him up um, into his world. And then he said, the third thing that, that they did, besides my parents had a real faith and my dad pulled me up in, into his world, he said, they told stories of God's goodness. They told stories of God's power and goodness. The book of Deuteronomy 37 times mentions children. And most of those 37 times, it's telling us, it's telling parents to tell the kids the wonderful works of the grace and power of God. There's an old saying, and there's a book that I haven't read, but I noticed the title this week, whoever tells the best stories wins. And Josh says, man, I heard my parents telling stories of the great work that Jesus was doing. By the way, in Acts 20, uh, Paul says that Jesus purchased the church, his bride, with his own blood. So be careful running around his bride. Be careful talking bad about it. I would say even be careful of flirting with it and playing with it and not devoting yourself to it. 
And Josh Howerton says, man, I saw my parents constantly growing up. Hey, let me tell you how generous our church was. Let me tell you who we were able to help. Let me tell you about the single mom that got aid. Let me tell you about the power bill that we paid. Let me tell you about the missionaries that we're supporting. Let me tell you about the churches around the world that we're planning. Let me tell you about the drug addiction group and the people that are overcoming this, that are finding God's deliverance. They told story after story. And he said, my parents have influenced the way I lived by the their faith being genuine by pulling me up into their world and then constantly hearing stories of God's grace, his goodness, and his power. We influence others. You'll influence others by the way that you live. And secondly, I won't spend as much time on these other three points, but secondly, you'll influence others by the work that you do. So this verse, this, this point here is the first part, verse 17 and 18 of chapter 20. Hey, I, I lived among you. You saw, and three times, by the way, let's go back because I, I think I missed that, Gina. Three times uh, he says, you know. Do we have that slide? I think it's, yeah. Three times in this passage he says, you know, which be careful if you're a public speaker. Isn't that one of our great things? You know, you know, you know. But this is a good kind of you know. This isn't a, a stammering, clamoring type of uh, speech person bumbling his way through. He's saying purposely, you know, you know what? You know how I live. You know that I have not hesitated to preach. You know how these hands of mine. And what's he meaning here? If we could go back to where we were, point two. Um, this, we influence people four ways, by the way that we live and by the work that you do. Look at what Paul did. Acts 20, we're going to skip ahead to verse 34. You yourselves know, there we go, you know, that I work with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. This is a really important principle. Um, it's an important principle. Uh, we have behind the scenes, a, it's organic, but a, a prison ministry where a couple of our people are visiting some people who are locked up. And this was, a, you know, the church should, Matthew 25, the least of these. And we, we visit the prisoner. We care for people that have been locked out of society. It's a part of justice, but compassion. The church should represent, the, 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 be the arm of compassion there. And Paul would later write, remember Miletus is 36 miles south of Ephesus. He would write in the fourth chapter to the Ephesians. He would say, let him who labor, or let him, I'm sorry, let him who steal, steal no more. They had thieves in that world. We have thieves in our world. It's easy for us to cut corners. We have to be careful in our work not to cut corners, not to fudge the numbers and cook the books. And except we need to do things the right way. Let him who stole be careful. Uh, let him not steal anymore, but let him labor with his hands so that he may have and we have to give to those in need. And by the way, it's not sequential. Your work, God always designed all throughout the scripture, you'll see that a big part of the dignity of work is you work for the benefit of other people. Three questions you should ask about your work, no matter what you do, you should ask three, three questions. How does my work connect to God's glory, the world's good, and my own joy? What drew you to the work that you have? And you'll, you'll see God's work, God's glory, the world's good and your joy could be more manifest if you attach it to this principle of you work for the benefit, yes, of yourself, but for other people. If you've stolen, don't steal anymore, but labor with your hands that you may have to give to those in need. Verse 35, Paul would say this, in every way I've shown you, we're talking about influence. We're talking about the way that he lived. We're talking about the way that he worked. I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I have never, ever, and I'm 
one of the older guys in the room, I have never met a happy, selfish person. I've never met a happy, greedy person. I never have. And the happiest people, happiness is a rarity. Let's acknowledge that. Deep and abiding joy, not, not many of us seem to have it. But the people I know that are happy have found out what Paul found out from Jesus, which is better to give than to receive it. I hope, I hope in your work you give. I hope in your work you do in part what you're doing to help those in need to help the weak. Now, let me say this. This was different because Paul was a big deal. We know of his past. Some of you come to church or you don't come to church. You may have stayed home today and just watched online because of some of the sin and the guilt that you feel. Listen, Paul, he had a past. He, he, he could say to Timothy, one young man that he influenced, he could say, hey, I'm the chief of all sinners. Do you know my past? But God had forgiven him. And in this, he said, um, I want to work and I want to uh, advance the gospel. But his past, his history, his study, his incredible intelligence advanced him and elevated him. And so what was different is Paul could have rode into these communities like Miletus, he could have rode in there and said, hey, I'm, uh, I get the elevated platform. I get the room at the, um, at the Hampton Inn. I get the nice, Hampton Inn's not nice. Why did I say Hampton Inn? I couldn't think of a nice, uh, what's a really nice hotel? Some of, you, some of you rich people, what's a nice hotel? I don't even know. What, what, give me something. Yeah. Rich, yeah, Rich Carlton. Thank you very much. That comes from Robert Aiken. Um, <laughs> we'll be watching he and Corey's Instagram to see where they're going next and where they're staying. But uh, yeah, he, he could have had a room at the Ritz-Carlton. And he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go low. And I think in Acts 20, he's probably remembering Matthew 20, where Matthew, the tax collector, records and says this, where Jesus says, uh, I didn't come to serve. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We influence people by the way that we live and by the work we do, and not just the work we do, but the way we do our work. Because have you noticed, um, there's some people, they've got gifts, but they're not, you don't really want to follow them. They're not a compelling person uh, because they're not doing their work with humility. It's more about, hey, I'm going to come into this meeting, and I'm, I'm the smartest person here, and I'm going to talk the most, and I want you to all do what I say. And that's the kind of leadership that doesn't reflect Jesus. And there's a lot of pastors and churches getting this wrong. I've, I've got to guard against it. You have to guard against it. But Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for other people. My, one of my next door neighbors is a college basketball coach. And if you were to ask Michael Prather, what kind of player are you looking for? He would say, man, I want, I want someone that'll take a charge, that'll dive after loose balls that'll block people out, that'll sprint back down on defense, that'll make extra passes. Because all of those things, all those things I just mentioned in basketball are things that people don't naturally want to do. We want to score the points. We want to dunk. We want to do the crossover. We want to break somebody's ankles. We want to make the sports center highlights. But when it comes to basketball, when it comes to sports, coaches are looking for the people that'll take the charge, that'll block out, that'll dive for the loose ball, that'll sprint back on defense, that'll make the extra pass. And in your work, does your work bring God glory? Does it do good for the world? And is it attached to your joy? 
And you'll don't make it chiefly about your joy, but your joy will be so much more. It'll be so immeasurable if you do that at work. We need leaders in the church who will take the charge, who will die for the loose ball, who will do the things that other people don't want to do. So as we talk about influence, the third thing that I want to mention is this. Not just the way you live, the work you do, but it's what you go through. In verse 19, he says this. Serving the Lord with all humility, tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. The three words I would highlight here are humility, tears, and trials. Humility, tears, and trials. Those three things alone, I don't want to mess up my four points, but those three things alone will speak a lot to our influence. In fact, what you go through and displaying perseverance it, quite, quite, it could possibly be your greatest realm of influence in the lives of other people. I want to show you a picture. Any guesses here? On the left is, uh, could you see this? That's my dad in a three-piece suit. And that's his mom and her mom. So this is my great-grandmother. And no, this is not me. This is a girl. This is my older sister. I, and this, when this picture was taken, uh, I had not yet entered the world. Gina's 18 months older than me. She looks like she's not yet a year there. So I would come along, you know, in about a year. I would be born. I think my mom took the picture. This is all on my dad's side. Um, I didn't know it. Uh, of course, I wasn't there at the time. But I would, I would arrive on the scene uh, probably a year later. And uh, back in the summer of 2018, I preached her funeral. And she was 101 years old, 101 years old. But what I've been appreciating, and and when you get old like me, older like me, you'll look at pictures like this, and it just moves you. It's It's just different. And it's more than just the feelings of nostalgia. But I look and I see, and I've been learning what she went through. By the way, she had 10 children. This is the oldest. My grandmother is the oldest of her 10 children. But I've been through the years learning stories. I got to tell some of these stories at her funeral, but just what they went through. But the humility and the tears and the trials. And as we get deeper into this, we're going to talk about mentoring. We're going to talk about fathers in particular. We're going to talk about greater realms of influence. But what you're going through, here's the thing. It doesn't make you feel good at the time. Like when someone's suffering, they're really suffering. The best thing to do is not walk up to them and go, hey, look what a wonderful testimony you're going to be. That is, that's probably not the time. I've learned that from my own pastoral experience. That's not the best. But deep in my heart, I'm thinking, man, if you endure, if you persevere, with humility and tears and trials, he's forming and shaping you on the anvil, and he's going to use you in the lives of other people. And you'll have your great, uh, email me a positive testimony now or later, but you'll have your greatest realms of influence by what you have gone through. Fourth and finally, we influence not just the way you live, the work you do, the way you do the work you do, or what you go through, but who your words point to. In Acts 20 and verse 20, Paul would say this. You know, there there he goes again, you know that I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable and to teach you publicly and from house to house. Do you know that we aspire to be this church? I call it the temple and the tables. Like, come to church. 
we don't say temple necessarily, but you know, come to the, come there, get in rows. And there's a, there's a spiritual authority and a motivational dynamic that can happen on Sunday morning. And we need you and you need this. And make it a part of your life. Come to the temple. Paul would preach at the temple. Paul would listen to others preach at the temple. I bet you he took notes when the other guys were preaching. But he also took it from house to house. We lived among you. And from house to house, he reasoned with them and he preached the good news of the gospel. There's a gravity to the gospel. There's a weight to it. And it's not one message among many. It's the message. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And you'll see if you examine, you'll see if you yourself follow it in your own lived experience. That's a key phrase to use a lot, lived experience. In your own lived experience, you'll see it. But there's so much bankruptcy when we follow ourselves, when we follow other methods and other men and other ways. Freud, Sigmund Freud, postulated a long time ago. And he said that the problem that we have, the reason that we're not happy, is there's this central neurosis. And the central neurosis is that you, you're not happy because other people are repressing you. In fact, it's the repression of your authentic self is the reason that you're not happy. And John Mark Comer, in his book, Live No Lies, says it doesn't take a private investigator to realize that Freud won. Freud's ideas won the West. You do you, follow your heart, live your truth. On and on and on, it's all about you, and you're not happy. You may not know a lot about Freud, but it's easy for us to buy it. The reason you're not happy is you're repressing yourself. You need to indulge your desires, and your authentic self needs to be indulged. And we have shifted from a society that where the goal was being good to now feeling good. And it's morally bankrupt. Oh, it sounds good, but it leads to a hollow existence. And so the good news of the gospel is to be truly your authentic self is to say, I need a savior. Is to say, I am dead and I am trapped in my sin. And some of you come in here and file in here almost week after week, but you've never believed, you've never received. And the gospel is, Paul says, I labor. Colossians 1, I labor and I strive. Timothy, Paul to Timothy, I pour out my life as a drink offering so that you would know this Jesus. So this message would be true in you, that you would know it. Don't follow your own heart. Follow the truth. Um, You can be right some of the time, but your heart's going to lead you astray. And the gospel says, this is the good news. And it's a message that frees you. And what I love about it, and, here, and then let me, let me lean on some of us, and we need to do better. I need to be a better pastor. I'm thinking about some podcasts, Lauren Heads Up, thinking about some things we can do to supplement this series where we talk to you about sharing your faith naturally, not cramming something down your throat. But here's what I know. There's a lot of you where you, you know, at work and your neighbors, they know who you voted for. They know some of your, you know, political affiliations, some of your hobbies and interests. They know a lot about you. They know you, but you've never shared your faith with them. And the way you influence, notice the words on number four, it's, it's, it's influencing people by the words that you say. And Paul had words. You know that great quote from Frank, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great quote? You know what? He never said that. He never said that. Somebody made that up to lead the sheep astray. Here's what I'd say. How you live matters. That's point number one, but preach the gospel. Look at me. Use 
words to share your faith. And by the way, you talk about uh, your faith becoming exhilarating. When you move away from boredom and stagnation, start sharing your faith with people around you. You'll learn more than you've ever learned. Oh my goodness. And by the way, you don't have to have all the answers. None of us would share our faith if we waited until we had all, uh, all the answers. So four ways to influence others. Just getting our feet wet this Sunday, this morning. The words or the way you live, the work that you do. Um, these, these are really, really important ways. And think about this fourth point, the words that you say. Um, as Lauren and the team make their way up, I want you to think about the third point, what you go through. The way you live, the work you do, what you go through. I want to ask you today to think about humility, tears, and trials. To think about the hard that you may be experiencing now. Talk to a man this week who lost his job know a young couple who traveled to another state to intervene with her father on his alcoholism. Um, I know a marriage that's on the brink. I know a mom and dad who wonder about all three of their kids, like literally wonder where they are. And the humility and the tears and the trials, let that be a place where God can meet you. Let him meet you there. I pray that you and I can suffer as we need to suffer and walk through whatever hard we need to walk through to bring the most glory to God and the most good to other people. Let me pray over you. Would you bow? Father, would you help us in the weeks that follow to think about influence? To maybe each week and in between to check our hearts, to Think about how we're being influenced. To think if we're given room, a, a foothold or a stronghold to the work of the devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy, who's winning in some of us. Would we think more rightly about the world that's trying to conform us to its image? Unwittingly and slowly and perceptively, we swallow what the world is putting out. We buy into lies that philosophers postulated so long ago and we wouldn't even know it, but it's a big part of our own religion. It's a big part of our worldview, the way we live. But the gospel is a different message. The gospel does not indulge our own desires. The gospel involves us living, taking up the cross sacrifice and self-denial for the glory God of you and the good of this world. Would you help us even today think about the way we live, the work we do, what we go through, and who our words point to. Help us to have boldness to share our faith with neighbors, co-workers, our families. Lord, you're calling us beyond the waters of where we are to greater realms of influence. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Church, would you stand? Lauren will lead us and the altar is open. And we would love for you to be prayed for. If you have a decision today, uh, accepting Jesus, or if you want to be baptized like Annabelle was, way to go, Annabelle, for being a leader. If you have a spiritual decision, we're here for you uh, today. You come.